We haven't we haven't used it in years. Turn it up a little bit. Yeah. I'll speak from over there today. Yes. But if that if we have a need, we'll get on that. You know, we'll get uh, we'll get that back on. You're preaching today. Yes. Sick. He is pretty sick.
Good morning. Can everybody hear me okay on this mic? Turn it up a little bit, perhaps. You hear me okay, Ken? Turn it up. A little better? Okay, very good. Let's begin with a couple of uh, items. <clears throat> there will be no evening service tonight. I guess this is getting to be old hat. Um, Pastor is sick. He's home, uh, not feeling very well. And Jared, in a moment, will give an update on him as to what's going on. But uh, because of his sickness and being home, Jared cannot really prepare adequately for tonight's uh, uh, Bible study service. So we're going to postpone that till the, the 16th of October. And uh, Jared, at this time, if you would kind of give an update what's going on. Um, he uh, wasn't feeling well after prayer meeting. I mean, if you were here Wednesday, he looked pretty good and such, but on Thursday, he started to just go downhill pretty quickly. Um, he called his doctor, did not go to visit him, but called him and gave the symptoms, and they think that he has a UTI, and so they prescribed a pretty heavy antibiotic that's safe for his uh, transplant. Um, <clears throat> but I went to stay with him the night before, and Dan was there last night. Uh, he's very weak, very, very, very weak. So I asked him if he was in any pain. Nope, not in any pain, any discomfort. Not any discomfort, just very weak and, and uh, he doesn't feel good. So I don't know what it is. I'm not sure that's a UTI, but he's on, he's on, on antibiotic right now. So we're uh, hoping that uh, that helps turn around. Um, Dan did report that last night he seemed to be getting around a little better. So he might be a little stronger yesterday than he was when I was with him on Friday night into Saturday. So we covered your prayers. Uh, for his health and that his strength would return to him. Uh, whatever it is, that the uh, antibiotic would, would knock it out. Thank you, brother. So we got a couple more missing today. Uh, Della is home, not feeling well today. And uh, we need to keep her in prayer. And Sheila, I see that... Uh, George is, uh, he's, <coughs> he's not been feeling well. He was here Wednesday night, as you know, and he was losing his voice. But uh, Thursday morning, he said we better call the doctor because his chest was tightening up mm -hmm. and uh, he wasn't coughing enough to you know, even loosen it up or anything so we called and he talked to the doctor over the phone too and uh, told him the symptoms and stuff and he told us to take COVID tests so we took two we took one that day and then one the next morning and he tested negative for that and um, but the doctor ordered a, a strong antibiotic for him and that's what he's on. Oh, so you're saying he's basically got a chest cold. Well, it, I, I was afraid it was turning into pneumonia, but I see. Um, he seems to be loosening up, you know, now a little bit and everything. So, but he was just real fuzzy-headed and, you know, mm -hmm. just not doing real good. So, but I think the antibiotics are helping. Okay. Brandon kind of beat me to the punch. <laughs> so, so uh, any other uh, uh, prayer requests or needs that uh, we need to be made aware of? Brandon? I have one. Um, I get at least an article a week I read about 
Brennan speaks about a lot of the people involved in the January 6th protest. Uh, whatever your political views on that are, uh, these are American citizens. Many of them have not even been to court yet. They sit in a jail, uh, which has violated so many constitutional rights of the people. Um, they need our prayers. And uh, perhaps whoever prays this morning would include that. But in all this, we serve a righteous and holy God, don't we? God is in control of all things. Nothing comes to us that first doesn't pass through his fingers, correct? that goes for most of us. Any other uh, prayer requests, Laura? And how many is this? Number four. And in the total accumulation of the clutch? Number 11. 11 grandkids out of three, of three siblings. That's, that's, that's impressive. So pray for Amanda. Okay, if there are no other uh, prayer requests, uh, our scripture for meditation this morning comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 122, and that'll be page 996 in your pew Bibles.
Would you stand with us, please, as we begin our morning service? Brother Tim Marshall, may I prevail upon you to lead us in prayer. Lord, as your psalmist has said, how good it is to be here, entering into your gates, to come to the house of the Lord today. Lord, we do pray for those that are not in attendance with us, those that have fallen ill, those that have found themselves in trials. Uh, but as we assemble here, Lord, we pray that you would be descending upon us. Lord, send your spirit to minister among your people. May your word be proclaimed here today. Lord, we think of the, uh, the greatness that is uh, that is you. And we come here to celebrate that, Lord, to hear an exhortation today about the reason why we assemble, Lord. We are here to praise you, to glorify you. We pray that everything we do in your name would lift up the greatest name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please remain standing. We take your red Trinity hymnal and turn to number 646. 646 in the red.
542 in the brown. Is there a reason for this hymn this morning? Scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, and it will be verses 23 through 31, page 1874 in your pew Bible. When you come to that, please stand with us. (coughs) 
Hebrews 10, 23 through 31. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning, deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God who, and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. May God bless the reading of his word. We take your red hymnal again and turn to number 648. <clears throat> 648.
Good morning. And uh, I'm coming to you also fighting with some <coughs> some gunk in my throat. Also, I am not used to all the medications they have me under, and my mind is still cloudy. But God can cut through all of that, and uh, by his spirit, nothing physical can ever hinder him for sure. So pray for me <coughs> as I speak this morning. <coughs> Excuse me. On the subject of why go to church, <clears throat> Phil is already grabbing water. If that's what you're doing, grabbing the battery's dying. Okay. Yeah, I know that as I speak to you today on why go to church, that the subject might sound like I'm preaching to the choir because you're already here, <laughs> but. I'm going to be speaking this morning on the reasons as to why we should go to church. Better? Coming through okay? Okay. <clears throat> Before we uh, begin today then, Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the day that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for the beauty of your creation. Thank you for the seasons that you say are going to continue until you come again. We see the change of the leaves. We know winter is coming. And Lord, it reminds us of our own lives where we have our birth and our life in between. And the coming moment, Lord, of our ending is appointed for man once to die. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as your people to realize that we have a limited number of days by which to do your will that you have for us on earth. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to value each day as we experience it. It has purpose because, Lord, you have directed it and you have given it purpose, and we're thankful for that. Today, Lord, the purpose is to worship you, and I pray, Lord, that by your word you'll explain to us and by your spirit, you will apply things to our heart, and that, Lord, we would change and repent, and that we would turn from the things that we've been doing to glorify you and honor you in all that we do. We thank you for your spirit and for your word. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> in our modern day society, it is becoming ever increasingly difficult to find people who attend church. And this should be no surprise to Christians. As we see the day of evil approaching, we realize that people will become ever more resilient against religious things. And currently, less than half of Americans attend church. And unless God intervenes, we should expect this number to continue to drop as years pass. Our focus today is not so much directed to the unbeliever, who can find little or no value in attending church, but rather the believer who possibly has attended a church since early in his or her youth. There are a few questions that we need to ask ourselves as we begin the study on attending church. Firstly, what does the Bible say about attending church? Does God actually mandate church attendance, or does the idea of attending a local church really come from the traditions of men? And secondly, what are our reasons for attending church? Do we attend church for the correct reasons? 
Maybe we have not seriously considered the severity of problems associated with lack of church attendance. And thirdly, what keeps us from church? What constitutes a good reason to miss and what is not? Well, let us endeavor this morning to decipher these answers to these questions from God's word. <clears throat> First of all, going to church is a biblical requirement. So what does the Bible say about attending church? Well, we've already looked at the passage this morning, if you're still there. Hebrews 10, verses 23 and following <clears throat> gives us some light. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, firstly, this command was given to Jewish Christians who were facing extreme persecution for their faith. The writer of Hebrews exhorts them to continue to publicly meet together. If this command was given and obe obeyed by a church whose members risked harm for meeting together, what excuses our lack of attendance in a day and age where we may meet openly without fear of persecution? In those days, we might easily have dismissed church attendance for safety's sake. And according to verse 25, that is exactly what some were doing. But instead, God, through the writer of Hebrews, encourages his church to meet. How sad then are reasons for missing service when others of our faith literally paid for their obedience to God's command with their blood. And maybe we have grown too complacent and have fallen asleep in the blessing of God's grace and peace in our land. And I wonder then what it will take to awaken us. As a Christian, obedience to God should not be an issue, and yet we struggle with obedience to his commands every single day of our lives. <clears throat> when we lose this struggle and willfully choose not to obey, it is called sin. And frankly, our choice to either attend church or not attend church is ultimately a choice over whether we will be obedient or sinfully disobedient. We must also be careful not to enlist the law of averages in assessing our church attendance. Missing fewer services than we attend does not necessarily please God. God is not interested in our 75% attendance rating. God looks on the heart and will examine our reasons for not being at his house on the Lord's day as he commands. How do our reasons for not meeting to worship God compare with Jesus' charge to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? Matthew 6.23 Sadly, Many of us would probably be ashamed if we were called on the carpet for our lack of attendance. And let me add that that is exactly what will happen on the day of judgment. It is not the semi-absent servant that Christ will praise, but rather it is to the steadfast servant to whom Christ will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. That's Matthew 25, verse 21. Brethren, if this is what you want to hear from your Savior, 
then be faithful and also encourage one another to also be faithful. Secondly, the writer of Hebrews also states that we are not only to encourage one another to attend, but to do so all the more as the day, that is the day of judgment approaches, that's verse 25. Now we know that we are much closer to that day than the saints to whom this text was originally spoken. How are we doing when it comes to encouraging each other to be faithful in our attendance? Do we become too shy because we are afraid we may hurt someone's feelings? Or are we silent because we too have missed church for reasons for which we are not proud? Once again, this is not a suggestion from God. It is his command that we encourage one another to be faithful. <clears throat> Going to church helps to prevent backsliding and apostasy. When we begin to assess the spiritual state of one of our members, what is the first thing we look to? We look to their attendance in the church. Oftentimes in the men's prayer meeting, we will make inquiries about members we have not seen in church for a while. Why? Because this is one of the outward signs that all is not well in the inward life of the believer. The Christian life is a struggle. It is a struggle that preoccupies our every ounce of strength to maintain. So then, when we see someone slipping from regular attendance, we start to become concerned with the spiritual well-being of that individual, and rightly so. Many years back, when I was still in college, I was offered a job to be a choir director for a United Methodist Church. Seeing that I wanted to go into music education, I thought this would be a great addition to my rather bleak resume. And I was right. It helped. Um, I also suffered a great way for my short-sightedness. My new job required me to attend the Sunday morning worship service of that church. And I was away from the meeting of my home church and soon found out that the messages from the minister of the church for whom I worked did not feed my soul. Instead, I was instructed on the benefits of recycling and other ecological issues. During this time, I reasoned that I was only doing this for a short time and that I would soon be back among my church family. It was not until that job providentially and graciously ended that I realized how far I had fallen. You see, my backsliding was not a quick and noticeable event. Rather, it was an almost imperceptible movement that accumulated great amounts of my spiritual life until I was at the edge of apostasy. I had all but stopped my personal devotions, and my prayer life came to a screeching halt. And to this day, I still struggle with the effects of my neglect of the assembling of the body of believers to whom I pledge membership. Many of you may be able to relate in some way to my experience. Think about how easy it is to miss two services over missing just one as we continue to miss service after service, our seared consciences allow us to hardly even think about the consequences that we are accruing. And as in my case, it eventually will necessitate an intervening act of God to awaken us to our true condition. The good news, however, is that following restoration to my church, and as the breath of the Holy Spirit filled my lungs, my spiritual life was restored 
and my service to my true church increased to more service than before my fall into backsliding. Brethren, we must understand that according to Hebrews 10.25, missing church is not the predecessor to backsliding. Rather, it is backsliding. Truly, there is something very wrong in the heart of the believer that can be absent from the assembly of the saints of God and not be troubled in spirit. Where are you today? Do you yearn to be with the redeemed of the Lord every time the doors to this church are open? Or can you forsake the assembling of believers and not have it trouble your heart? Going to church brings spiritual fellowship and encouragement. If you want to keep your place in Hebrews and turn in your Bibles, you can to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at five verses there. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 reads, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In this text, we have a glimpse into the workings of the New Testament church. It says in verse 46 that they were meeting every day and that they were devoted to, among other things, fellowship. Now what is fellowship? Is fellowship a mere social time where a group of people meets to discuss the weather, job issues, and updates on the children or grandchildren? No, I would offer to you that the before-mentioned activity is socializing and not fellowship. Fellowship is vastly different from socializing. Anyone can socialize, believer or unbeliever, but only Christians can have true biblical fellowship. The Bible speaks about fellowship in Ephesians 5. Verse 19 says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only people who can speak in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are Christians in whom the Holy Spirit is resident. You see, there is a spiritual connection that Christians share that far exceeds any familial connection on earth. True biblical fellowship leaves the trivial concerns of the world behind and brings conversation and connection on the spiritual level. There our hearts can learn from each other. They can be encouraged and admonished. Fellowship is as far above socializing as any spiritual reality is above its physical shadow. There are few places where we can exercise fellowship. Meeting with the saints of God in the local church is one. It is important to note that fellowship is not something secondary to our souls. 
God has made man a social creature. We define ourselves by our connections within society. Think if you were to go to work and have no interaction with anyone at any time, day after day, then returning to home the evening you were not married and you had no friends and thus you had no communication with anyone else on a meaningful level, what kind of person would you be? An introvert? Brethren, our souls are the same way. If we shut off all avenues of fellowship or don't take advantage of fellowship opportunities, our souls become dysfunctional spiritual introverts, never sharing, never relating, and ultimately never caring. We need fellowship and encouragement. Christ designed his church to be interdependent, to build itself up in the faith. And this can only be done if the members are present and actively engaging in the exercise of true biblical fellowship. Sunday morning television evangelists and even the streaming of our own services cannot provide for all of your soul's needs. You need fellowship. You need encouragement. And there is no such thing as a healthy, loner, isolated Christian. In this day and age, we are seeing the increase of isolation. As a society, we prefer to be left alone. The increase of technological communication has made it possible to get work done while staying home, safe and secure, and alone. As Christians, we have a responsibility to guard against the assault of the world against godly practices. How has that small little phone in your pocket changed the way you interact with people? How much time does it distract you from actually interacting with people? Has it become a replacement for actually being with people? And what do you think heaven is going to be like? Are you hoping that the place that Christ has gone to prepare for you is your own little apartment where you can finally be left alone? Brethren, we are a part of God's family, and we will finally be completely assembled in glory. It will be an ongoing family reunion. There is sin, for sure, in all earthly families, and there is sin, for sure, within the local earthly assembly of the Church of God. And sin causes dysfunction in every aspect of life. As dysfunctional as your physical family on earth may be, you cannot, you may not, bring that kind of expectation of behavior into God's family. In the church, we are, expect, we are to expect holiness and obedience to God's word while dealing with the brokenness of our world and the effects of sin. Pastor Tucker used to say, and I might get the quote wrong, but you'll get the idea, I may not be able to do things perfectly, but I can do them correctly. The problem is with us is that we give up rather than doing the hard work of correctly doing what we're commanded to do. We need to do better. Going to church expresses obedience to the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Well, in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 38, Jesus tells us, 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now we heard earlier about duty to obey commands of Christ. Now let's look at a better form of motivation. Jesus said in John 14 verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now to the Christian, this should be the motive for everything we do. We do what we do, not solely because we feel an obligation to Christ, but because we love him. That is why the psalmist could say in Psalm 119, verse 46, I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. It wasn't so much that David was enamored with the commands given, but rather the giver of the commands. David's heart was in the right place. His devotion to God was unequaled in all of Israel's kings. It was this devotion to God that brought David to say, as we read in our meditation this morning, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You know, oftentimes we enter this building with the idea of obligation and not with a heart that can't wait to meet with the saints of God to worship the Lord. You see, God continually looks on the heart and of our motives and how we act. How devoted are we to God? When a family outing is planned for a Sunday, do we rationalize that we may attend many Sunday services and missing just one isn't going to hurt anything? Besides, we can just watch the recording of the message and be right back on track. What if our children have a school sport commitment that cannot be rescheduled? What about weekend getaways with our spouses that do not allow for the worship of God? Now, we may rationalize that these things are infrequent and actually very important to us, but before we allow ourselves to be taken away, let us look to Christ's poignant words on this subject. Matthew 10, verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. As we already have discussed, God has commanded his children to assemble. And when we choose to do something else over what God has commanded, frankly, brethren, we sin. And you may say, well, am I supposed to love my family, aren't I? God's commanded that, too. Well, you're not to love them more than Christ. Well, how about my spouse? I am to love this person above all others. I said so in my vows. You are not to love them more than Christ. We also do damage to our Christian reputation by giving in. Your unsaved loved ones who expect you at the reunion or the soccer coach who scheduled the game will truly see where your priorities lie if or if you don't attend because you are at church. 
The Christian life is one of continuing sacrifice. Looking on in Matthew 10, verse 38 includes, And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Where in your priorities have you placed God? And if you answer, well, he's very, 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 very high up. That's not good enough. Again, hear Christ's own words regarding his place in our hearts. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, verse 33. So I ask you this morning, do you love Christ? Prove it by willingly and eagerly participating in his worship on the Lord's day. Be here. Prove your love by your actions, not just your words. Brethren, this morning we have been gathered by God as his people for the distinct purpose of worshiping his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're here to do today. What are you doing right now in this very moment? Is your heart in the act of worshiping God, or is it somewhere else? Somewhere isolated and cold, perhaps? Speaking of Jesus Christ, who is our role model for the Christian faith, certainly that role model is not our parents, although they may have been great. Our pastor, maybe even the Apostle Paul. No, it is Christ who is our most excellent role model. So the question comes, did Jesus attend church? Well, there wasn't a New Testament church during the times he walked on earth, of course, but did he meet in the Lord's house to worship? In Luke 4.16 it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. You know, Jesus was a very busy man. He knew his appointed time to die, and also what had to be accomplished before that event transpired. Someone who works towards a fast approaching deadline will usually abandon all of their time wasters in order to concentrate fully on completing the work at hand. And we find here that Jesus did not choose to cut off meeting uh, in his father's house. In fact, Luke says it was his custom to do so. You know, in our scramble to get things done, we must not look at Sunday as an optional day to finish what we were not able to complete during the last week. You want to be like Christ? Then we must follow his example. Going to church enables you to hear in person the preaching of God's word. If you want to turn uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll look at a couple verses there. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 2. Second Timothy 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth 
and turn aside to myths. God has ordained the preaching of his word to be instrumental in his salvation. It's also instrumental in rebuke and in the edification of his people. Preaching does no good without a person to actually listen and absorb the message spoken. So conversely, God has also ordained that we should listen to preaching as well. In olden days, this was only accomplished in the traditional manner of attending a church service. But in our present time, the explosion of media with the variety and convenience of many formats available, the Christian can easily listen to messages preached from a variety of sources, all from the comfort of his or her own home. Now, at first glance, this sounds wonderful. And however, there are some serious pitfalls that could overtake us as we live in our ever-increasing technological society. First of all, being at home and watching a service rather than participating in a live service excludes the dynamic quality found only in a live presentation of the gospel. Just think for a moment if all of your communication with your spouse was done with recordings. Even video recordings would lack the intimacy that can only be experienced by physically being together and communicating face to face. Such is true of the worship service. The Holy Spirit empowers the message and plants the seeds in the hearts of the listeners during a worship service. You cannot record the Holy Spirit in his wondrous work on digital media. Secondly, in a live service, you cannot switch stations or turn off the speaker when the message becomes uncomfortable. At home, we can do just that, and by doing so, we begin to do what Paul warned of Timothy about in the before-mentioned passage. If you look again to verses 3 and 4, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. How easy is it to merely switch to different media or even just quit the app if the conviction coming through the message of that particular speaker proves too uncomfortable? Moreover, there are plenty of charlatan preaching, charlatans preaching a false gospel that might fit into our own warped theology on different apps and different channels. And you can probably find someone who is preaching just exactly what you want to hear. But is that speaker's message biblical? In your own local church, you can expect that the pastor will hold to the doctrine that the church holds to, and that the messages presented will be in accordance with the scriptures. Thirdly, the messages in a local church are sent from God to address the needs of that particular church, while recorded messages of other church services are sent from God to their particular churches. God is a personal God. He has messages sent right here to Thornville Baptist Church that are designed for our members to hear. It is true that we can glean spiritual gems from other messages to other churches, but I would rather hear a message from my Lord that was addressed to me rather than to someone else. The problem is, we either don't believe this, or worse, we don't care. Going to church allows you to take the Lord's Supper. 
There are certain activities that the Christian must partake of that can only be done within the context of the local church. The foremost and continuing of these activities is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We know that we must participate in this special service of the church because Christ himself has commanded it. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke 22 verse 19. This ordinance was not given to the individual Christian, but rather to the church. In 1 Corinthians 11.26, Paul states, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now what Christian would not want to proclaim what the Lord has done by his death for them? A weak attendance record on the part of the Christian in this area not only shows a callous disregard for the commands of Christ, but also a serious amount of ingratitude for the ultimate sacrifice that the Lord of glory made for us worthless sinners. Again, this is Christ, the Lord of the church, who is commanding this. We had better take note. There are a few other things that we need to take note of when considering church attendance. Firstly, we must recognize that the local church is not a man-made idea. Rather, the church is the institution created by Christ, sustained by Christ, and owned by Christ. You and your spouse, or you and your family, do not a church make. Nor does your Bible study at work or at home with your friends constitute a church, or more reverently, a substitute for church. The church is also a place where we may grow in the service of the saints. Can you employ your gifts to their full potential in a Bible study? Paul describes the church as a body. Can a heart function without the body? Can a body function without a heart? Look at 1 Corinthians 14:26 and verse 31 as well. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Verse 31, For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. God has given each one of us, every one of us, gifts and abilities. There is not one of us who lacks gifts. Not one. The gifts that you have are not for your own personal enjoyment. Rather, the Master for the good of his church, has entrusted them to you. The local church is the avenue for our gifts. This is the place where they will be cultivated and multiplied. In Ephesians 4.16 it says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In order for us to grow, each and every one of us must do our work. Otherwise, we become dysfunctional. If we choose to stay at home and refuse to share what God has given to us, then we will be like that wicked servant to whom Christ replied, Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, verses 28 through 30. The utilization of our gifts must come from a heart that desires to give and not to get. And I think we often come into worship services expecting to receive something. And although this often happens, this should not be our direct focus. We should not come to church to be waited upon, but rather to serve. If we leave a worship service and say to ourselves, well, I didn't get much out of that service, then we have come into God's house with the wrong motives. Rather, we should be able to say, what an excellent opportunity I had today to learn of God and to serve Him by serving His children. And I'm so glad I could be a part of honoring God by what I did. There should be no spectators in the worship of God, only participants. The regular attendance of church keeps our lives balanced and grounded. No one can discount the effects of sin in our lives. Sin permeates everything we do. It also permeates our theology. When we are apart from the body of believers, we have no one to help keep us in check as we formulate understandings of passages we may read in our personal devotions. All of us need to be realigned with the truth of God's word on a consistent basis. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Or again, in 1 Corinthians 11, 18 and 19, Paul states, In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. You see, God has given all Christians some understanding of his word, but he hasn't given all of it to one person. We need to talk and sharpen each other by hammering out the differences according to the word of God. And without these checks and balances in our understanding, erroneous thoughts become erroneous actions that lead us ever more away from the truth we profess to have. Now these are just some of the biblical reasons for attending a church. Now let's look at some practical applications of these truths for our church at Thornville. First, we need to ask forgiveness of God and our fellow members for being remiss in our duties. We also need to ask for repentance so that we might not slip back into apathy. And then in faith that God will grant repentance, we need to act and start being faithful to Christ and start attending and being more active in the services at Thornville. I'm not just talking about the Sunday morning worship service. Our church has several services of which every member should be a part. Remember, the early church was meeting every day. This includes the, the soon-to-start Sunday school hour. The Sunday school program is, in many ways, an outreach program to our children. If the children of our church notice that Sunday school is not important to our church family by lack of attendance, what makes us think that they will take any value in the program? People are watching our faithfulness to our services, even our own children. Our Wednesday night prayer meeting service needs special consideration. You can rightly judge the spiritual health of a church by its prayer life. There are members of this church who haven't been to a prayer meeting in more time than they can remember. Brethren, there is nothing more encouraging 
been sitting among other brothers and sisters in Christ and offering our prayers together and then watching our powerful God and Father who delights in giving good gifts to his children, I might add, answer in a quick and mighty way. God has blessed this little church with an abundance of answered prayers. And I believe by his actions in that he has been granting these things, that he is encouraging us to pray more. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. You know, we use a prayer chain at our church. It's wonderful to be able to pray immediately for the needs that come up right away. But it is no substitute for meeting together and praying and bringing our requests as a body of Christ to church. I just pray that we'll be part of that. I encourage you to come and be a part of the miraculous working of God at this church. God uses our prayers to accomplish his will. What Christian wouldn't want to be a part of that? Secondly, I believe we need to take a close look at what we call fellowship. As we leave a worship service, we need to continue to ponder and think about what has been said and talk with others about what ministered to our hearts. Fellowship is not an easy task. It is so much easier to talk about anything else. Fellowship requires courage and a willingness to expose our knowledge or lack thereof. However, if we are open with each other and let our very unchristlike guard down, we will be educated by godly instruction, edified by godly encouragement, or both. The end result will be more mature Christians in our assembly, and we will see that the strength of our unity will increase. Maybe we could investigate opportunities for true Christian fellowship. Maybe if somebody would open their home, or even as, as we as a church collected following the worship service and spent some time in fellowship, I believe God would bless these efforts. Thirdly, we need to do some serious thinking as to our motives for being present in this little country church out here in Thornville. What do we come here for? Do we come out of a desire to please our Lord? Do we come to be served or to serve? Do we come here to actually worship? Once again, the scriptures stand convicting us of our failures, but what will we do? I challenge you to seek out opportunities for service in this church. Don't wait for someone to come and ask you to be part of the project. The asking is already there. The body of Christ has long been without some fully functioning vital organs. Be proactive in perfecting your faith. God will reward our faithfulness. Let us strive to be able to, on that great day, to present ourselves as a fully functioning body and not a dysfunctional one. Do some of us come out of feeling of duty or habit? Do we find that doing work in the church is drudgery? And if so, then I suggest that we pray for a change of heart. Pray that God would have us filled with love for our Savior all over again. To do something difficult out of sheer obligation brings no contentment to the effort. Ah, but to do something difficult out of a heart that longs to demonstrate its love by what it does this brings immense joy. 
Do you love Christ this morning? This is his church and his defined opportunity for you to worship him while on, on earth. Do you corporately worship him while you're here or do you purposely isolate yourself from him and the other people that he also gave his life for? that he has collected out of the world each Sunday morning for the distinct purpose of doing what no one does willingly without the Holy Spirit, that which is currently happening in heaven at this time, all the time, but we only have about an hour or so once per week here on earth. That is the worship, the praise, the adoration of the only person worthy of such an act, the Lord Jesus Christ. The public corporate worship of Jesus Christ, brethren, is the greatest purpose to which you have been created for and called to do. Are you here and present for it? I pray that you are, and I hope you pray for it too. For those in this assembly who do not know this Savior we desire to honor, let me first say that attendance in a local church does not merit you favor with God at all. There will be unbelievers in hell that were more faithful in their attendance to a particular church than some of the church's saved members. Yet they did not know the Jesus who created and cultivated that church. Christ is the head of this body of believers. And before you can be a part of the body, you must know the head. Why do we honor him? Why do we worship him? What is it that he has done that has so enamored us with him? Let us first start where we were. Each Christian was in the same place before God found us. We had sold ourselves to sin. We were chained to our lusts and held captive in death's stronghold. By our very nature, we were objects of God's just wrath. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when we sin, there is a separation from God, for God cannot look upon sin. Left in this condition, we would have, we have, would have received the death penalty under the wrath of God, because God is holy and must punish sin. But God, ever gracious and ever merciful, sent Jesus, his only son, to take the penalty for our sin. He walked on earth completely sinless and not under the wrath of God. Of Christ, the scriptures say, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. He willingly gave up his life for us and paid the very price that we sold ourselves into sin. And now we stand blameless before our God for the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future have been meted out upon Jesus Christ. And not only did he die for us, he also rose from the dead, his victory over sin and death complete, and he ascended into heaven where he ever intercedes for us to the Father. This power of resurrection each Christian has experienced firsthand. For in our deplorable condition, God took our lifeless hearts and resurrected them to ones of life. He called us out of our sin and caused us by the power of the Holy Spirit to come alive and live for him. This is why we meet and assemble to praise and worship him. We now have peace with God 
We are no longer ab objects of his wrath, but objects of his mercy. You can know this Jesus too. The scriptures say that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 9-13 Call on the name of the Lord and ask him to forgive your sins and bring you into a right relationship with him. Then and only then will all be well with your soul. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the living word. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us in this moment and help us as a body of believers to worship you. Thank you for the opportunity to do so in a country that allows it without persecution. What a gift you have given to America. Lord, help us to be appreciative and thankful for that great gift of peace. Be with us now, Lord, as we finish our service. In Jesus' name, amen. 493 in the red hymnal. 493. When you find that, will you stand with me, please?
Bill, will you close us in prayer this morning? Thank you, dear Lord, for this day that we've come and worship you in this house. And I do think of Pastor and his illness and some of the others, George, Brother George. Be with them. Bring them back to us on Wednesday. Enter them. We praise you and thank you. Brother, we have yet one more item of business. Our brother over here stands with the, the endurance of another birthday. But she, we shall celebrate our way in the Thank you. 